If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Hopeful Hints, hosted by Dr. Tara, guides and supports those on the often challenging and isolating journey of women's health concerns and infertility. There's a particularly powerful episode that you should check out called All Things Endometriosis, which dives deep into understanding the condition to help the many women who suffer from endometriosis and have no idea they have it, and healthcare providers who are uneducated about it, making the diagnosis process so difficult. Check out Hopeful Hints on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Hey there, leading ladies. Welcome to the Women Physicians Lead Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Herbert, a two-time best-selling author, speaker, family physician, and executive leadership coach with over 20 years experience of providing primary care and serving as a healthcare leader. If you are a woman physician ready to make a change in your career and have a seat at the leadership table, then you are in the right place. I'm excited to provide you with the crucial skills you need to be a successful leader and strategies to deal with workplace challenges. So put on your headphones and listen as we explore the new world of building women physician leaders. Hello, leading ladies, and welcome back to another episode of the Women Physicians Lead Podcast. So I'm excited today to bring you another great guest, Jordan Feingold. And Dr. Feingold is a resident physician in psychiatry at the ICANN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York City. She has a lot to share with us today about well-being and positive psychology. And she's going to also talk to us about physician burnout, some things that we can do to thrive in the face of adversity and learn a little bit more about what she is studying um, during her psychiatry residency and her, her research as well. So as noted, Dr. Feingold is a resident physician in psychiatry at the ICANN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. She is a well-being researcher and a positive psychology practitioner. Her research and clinical interests involve the brain-gut axis, mind-body approaches to complex medical and psychiatric illness, protecting and promoting healthcare worker and patient well-being, and incorporating positive psychology approaches into healthcare delivery. She is the co-author of Choose Growth, a workbook for transcending trauma, fear, and self-doubt with Scott Barry Kaufman. So join me in welcoming Dr. Fine Gold to the One Physicians Lead Podcast. We're so excited to have you here today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. So um, you have so much to share just in the you know, brief bio that I read, there's a lot to unpack in terms of how you're using your, you know, residency in psychiatry, along with your background in positive psychology, to yeah. really sort of get to, um, like you said, the mind-body approach to understanding complex medical and psychiatric illness. So when you think about your career journey thus far, and the leadership journey that you're looking forward to as well, who or what may have been instrumental in that decision? Oh, yeah, it's such a good question because this really goes back to, you know, days before I was ever a doctor, back to even before I was pre-med when I discovered that I thought a career in the sciences and in healthcare 
would be well suited for my personality. Growing up, I was the baby of my family and sort of like the you know, not a, officially ever a therapist, but I did play sort of a, a role in my family that was calming. And I, I, being the baby, I was exposed to a lot of wisdom that I tried to soak up and eventually translate to my friends and uh, peers growing up in school. And, and then I loved science. I discovered that I loved biology. I was fascinated by the digestive system when I learned it in high school biology. I can remember sitting there in my seat and just being captivated by my high school bio teacher, Miss Provost, teaching us about all of the protein, the way proteins and carbs get digested. And I was like, wait, maybe there's a future for me in medicine combining science and really this desire to help people and counsel people. And I, I always thought that being a doctor was about helping people to be healthy. And it wasn't until I just happened to be at the University of Pennsylvania for undergrad in Philly, and, and I was exposed there to this field of positive psychology that I had never heard about, which is the science of well-being and human flourishing above and beyond the absence of disease. It really wasn't until discovering that positive psychology existed that I realized that the biomedical model in medicine and Western medicine is very much about getting rid of what's wrong with people. So I figured before going to medical school, maybe I could actually formally study positive psychology, the science of well-being, so that I could integrate this framework, the sort of north side of the human experience, north of neutral, as one of our uh, one of the founders of the field calls it, all of the good stuff and how we can bring that into what we do for patients and treating disease and and curing illness while also promoting what's right with people. So a lot of it was just being in, in the right place at the right time to be exposed to this field and, and then run with it. That's interesting. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you are able to really pull from different sources. I think that's what makes um, us great physicians or, or make physicians, you know, great at what they do is mm -hmm. really being able to take into account all of the things that make up the human body and the way that we, you know, kind of move about in, uh, on this earth and to bring in different dynamics in terms of healing, right? In yeah. terms of healing people as well. So when you think about your role now as a, a resident physician in psychiatry, what does that role look like for you? What does your day look like? Who do you serve and what challenges do you face? So my day is re thus far in my training. So I'm a year and a half in and every month has looked very different. So of course there was surviving intern year, which is notorious. And for us psychiatrists, it requires six months of non-psychiatry. So I was doing internal medicine and neurology and emergency medicine I did a month in urgent care. So really seeing the full spectrum of human illness in all of its forms, the inpatient setting, the outpatient setting, the acute setting. And then I got to do six months of psychiatry and mostly in the inpatient capacity, as well as in a partial hospitalization program. I'm located in East Harlem, like really the, the border between East Harlem and the Upper East Side of Manhattan. So one of the most diverse areas in terms of patient population and the population that I serve. And it, I mean, it's been just an incredible journey, what I've learned from mentors, teams, patients, 
And, oh, and I also spend some time at the VA and I'm about to spend the next six months working at the Bronx VA full-time doing outpatient geriatric psychiatry and substance use. So it's really been, it's been a lot and I'm trying to soak it all in and just, you know, my, my primary job right now is to learn to be an excellent psychiatrist, which includes giving psychotherapy and learning all of the modalities. So psychodynamic psychotherapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, group therapy, and, and a psychopharmacologist. Of course, we do prescribe a lot of medications. And I think what really was the most transformative time thus far has been when I've been on the consult psychiatry service. So serving inpatients admitted to other medical services with psychiatric needs. And that's where the mind body connection, I think is the most profoundly in the front and center, the way that someone's experience with a physical illness can impact their mental state and the way that their mental state can then subsequently feed back into their physical symptoms um, and the way that we can intervene to help communicate with patients and their teams and their families to help them just make sense of what is happening to them. Because as you know, it can be such a distressing experience to have a physical illness and that is only compounded by psychiatric illness and the way that all of those things intertwine. So, yeah, I mean, it's been a lot. I feel like it's constant, just whiplash going every month to a different service, but it's, I, and I'm still trying to piece together, um, how it all fits in and how it will fit into my career eventually when I'm not doing something different every month. And I, I also wrote this book during intern years where I, we wrote the book, choose growth but when I graduated medical school until December through December of my intern year. So I was also working on this book and learning so much and integrating so much into the book based on what I was seeing and experiencing as an intern, you know, that fight or flight response that I was living in when I was on inpatient medicine and just like my body sensing that I was in danger at, similar to when my evolutionary ancestors were exposed to like the saber toothed tiger, just because I maybe didn't know something on rounds and, and how I had to learn and unlearn some of that fear response in order to be the most centered and grounded doctor I could for my patients. So as you know, and as the doctors listening to this podcast know, it is a whirlwind to go through residency training. And I'm just I think now the biggest challenge is just integrating everything I'm learning into the clinician that I most want to be. Yeah. Wow. That's great. You've been very busy. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, It's like an understatement. I'm like really thinking about it. Um, you know, I think a lot of, um, a lot of us, and I'm going to use the word older, but more seasoned physicians, right? I think a lot of us now are just realizing that we have these other loves and we have mm -hmm. these other passions and we want to write a book and we want to, you know, maybe study outside a little bit of medicine to try to, you know, integrate some different yes. modalities as a physician. And you're doing that now as a resident, which is so great to see, because I think that that is part of what may help us um, or prevent us from really going into burnout is by really, you know, looking at and, and, and discovering what it is we really want to become, who we want to become, and what are some of the things that we maybe want to do 
um, outside of medicine, but still be able to to practice. It's it's so true, and I mean, you can hear the sirens. I live right right here in the hospital. I know. So I, I really do think that that is a, a major key to preventing and then treating our own burnout is, you know, going back and think, meeting ourselves where we are and recognizing what those other interests are. And even thinking back, like when we all applied to medical school and even going back and reading that personal statement and seeing what activities were on there, however many years ago that was, because we all came into this field with so much vision and passion and extracurricular things that we did. You literally couldn't get into medical school if science or just medicine or research was the only thing. Medical schools want well-rounded individuals. And then though, the tricky thing that happens is you get to medical school and it's so overwhelming and it's drinking from the water hose and it and then it's residency and it's just the easiest thing to do is to let those other things fall by the wayside and just really take on that identity of healthcare worker and and doctor which can be all consuming and then you know for some of us we have families and that takes over and it's like all of these passions that we had it's just so easy to subvert them and focus more singularly on career and family and whatever else we are prioritizing. And I think I had this gift of foresight of studying positive psychology before medical school, which I recognize is an incredible gift where I learned like, what is well-being? Like, what are the ingredients that are going to keep me well so that I can be a, have a sustainable career in medicine. And that sometimes meant in medical school, like doing the bare minimum in the classroom so that I could work out every day and that I could prioritize dinner with my now husband and, and making little tweaks that seem like they might be counterintuitive and almost like career sabotaging, but were actually the keys to like maintaining my sanity and well-being. And that doesn't mean I've never experienced burnout, but it's like when you have some of those things in place, it's much easier to squash it as it's happening and recognize it as it's happening. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I, I love the field of positive psychology. I'm definitely a supporter of it when I was going through my own, you know, period of burnout. Um, I had decided that I was going to study um, becoming a coach, mm-hmm. but didn't really kind of know in, in what aspect I was going to, you know, go through this particular certification and ended up attending a certification course in coaching that was based in positive psychology. And it was the biggest eye opener for me. It helped me personally, as well as, you know, to be able to use some of those techniques and principles for my clients as well. But I'm definitely, you know, a huge supporter of it and feel like we, um, as healthcare practitioners can use it in our, in our day-to-day practice. So what really motivated you to explore this field? So, you know, there there are people, I think, who come to positive psychology and feel like, wow, there's a scientific evidence base for how to be happier. Like, I need that. And then there, for me, it was more like, this is just so intuitive. So I think there are people who come to positive psychology and really 
are moved to study it because they're looking for that evidence base on how to be happier or have more meaning in their life. And it's really coming from like a, I don't have this right now. I really need something. And this is, this has this solid evidence base and it's a science and well-being can be learned and developed. And it's very, um, it's a, it's a compelling way to dig your, dig your, just get your fists in and, and learn a new skill set. Where I was coming from, I was, when I discovered the field, I was an undergrad. Life was pretty good. I had very few cares other than, you know, figuring out professional identity and relationships. But I discovered that the, there was this whole field out there that kind of validated the way I lived my life. I, I think I am very fortunate in that I, I tend towards like that a higher happiness set point, which is a concept in positive psychology. There's just, you know, some of us based on genes and environment that, tend a little bit towards the brighter, cheerier side. And that was definitely, that was, it is who I was as a young person. And then, you know, I think a lot of us in healthcare, that can almost get, like, I think our happiness set points can get, they can lower um, because we're so tired. And um, yeah, just fatigue, I think, can really undermine even a really happy, open-minded, go-lucky person. So once I discovered as an undergrad that there was a whole science of this, I think it, it was actually being in the room with people studying it that really cinched it for me. It, it wasn't just the books and the reading, which was so compelling. It was actually being in a room full of these students studying applied positive psychology at Penn. It's where the master's program is. And I was just brought into the room with them because I was in an acapella group in college and we were hired by the program to sing for these MAP students, the master of applied positive psychology students. I think that's when it became real for me that these people just like they, they were drinking some Kool-Aid that I wanted to to drink. They just, (laughs) they they seem just so deeply well and connected with one another. And they were from all ages, from all over the world in this room together, studying the science of happiness. And I was like, whoa, this, there's something here that I need to really dig into. And medical school, God willing, will be there for me at the end of this journey. And I will be all the better for knowing this science to apply within medicine. And hopefully some schools will take this crazy science of happiness girl and and hope and that I could actually bring it uh, to medical school. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So like you mentioned, you know, what we've talked about briefly um, is this burnout, you know, that our colleagues have been dealing with for some time now, even pre-pandemic, right? Oh, yeah. Um, however, the pandemic, like like a lot of things, has brought the seriousness of it to light. Yeah. Um, and the pandemic in and of itself has escalated, you know, the rate of burnout. So share with us um, your experience, if you have an experience mm-hmm. with burnout, what lessons did you learn and what can we do now as physicians to prioritize our well-being and thrive? Hey, leading ladies, this is Dr. Lisa. I love bringing you great content and dropping pearls to help you lead with confidence. So don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Hello, leading ladies. It's Dr. Lisa. Ready to claim your seat at the leadership table? Well, let's partner together. I believe that when a physician learns the crucial skills they need to step up and lead, positive change happens in their own life and community. So ready to talk? 
As a physician and certified executive leadership coach, I provide training and support for physicians who want to feel confident in their ability to lead and be the respected voice in healthcare. So if you book your free 30-minute consultation today, we are going to analyze where you are in your career and identify the specific support you need to lead successfully. And if we're a good fit, I will provide you with the solution that is best for you. So I look forward to learning more about your leadership journey and how I can support your growth. Go to www.justtherightbalance.com forward slash position consult. That's www.justtherightbalance.com forward slash position consult. Hey there, leading ladies, it's Dr. Lisa. Thanks for hanging in with me. Now back to our amazing interview. Yeah, so I, you know, I was in this position studying burnout well before I ever experienced it. And studying it, it became clear that it was such a ripe area to apply positive psychology because I was like getting ready to write my thesis, my capstone on what I was calling positive medicine, applying positive psychology in the medical space. And, you know, there's numerous ways we could do that for patients, for clinicians, for teams. And in talking to many doctors, almost unanimously, everyone I spoke to was like, you gotta focus on physicians because this was in 2016. So well before COVID and this, this epidemic of burnout that they were experiencing. So, you know, I dug into the literature to try to understand what this, what this phenomenon really was and how prevalent it is. And, you know, I learned pretty quickly that it's a well-defined syndrome of this emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, starting to see patients as objects and low sense of personal accomplishment, really losing, losing touch with all of the progress we're making and the impact we're having that begins in the workplace and then can really trickle into one's personal life, family life, and cause all sorts of badness like substance use and mental illness and even suicide. So I spent this whole summer, 2016, writing my capstone, thinking about positive interventions for medical students, trainees, and doctors. And I get to medical school and on the third day of class, we had a student die by suicide in my institution. And it was this like horrific, terrible, tragic, like coming to light of like what this problem and, you know, related problems, what untreated mental illness or even treated mental illness um, can look like within our field. And it really accelerated my institution. They, they had always, I, at Mount Sinai, there had always been a pretty robust offering of mental health services and even an attention toward wellness. But this catalyze, this event catalyzed that even more. And it led as a first year medical student with an expertise in positive psychology, someone like me to actually really contribute, even though I knew nothing about yet about what it meant to be a medical student or a doctor. I did have this background and I was able to bring some programmatic positive psychology based programs to my school, which still, you know, thankfully still exist. And I even led a group today for co-residents on the power of gratitude. So this pro the pro some of the programs we started do still exist today. I developed a course um, for doctors. 
but then, you know, of course, knowledge and knowing the science is not always enough because then I found myself as a third year medical student in about February, realizing that I like, I got to my, I was on my neurology rotation and, you know, the year had been pretty good, but like any third year medical student in the Northeast in February, it's dark. The days are short. You're exhausted. You're at the bottom of the totem pole. You don't know what you're doing. And I, I realized it was like, as I was going to write my boyfriend at the time, my now husband, a Valentine's day card. I was like, I have no access to my emotional reserve right now. Like I, I'm like either good or bad. There is no gradient of emotion that I'm experiencing right now. And I was like, Whoa, like, am I and I burned out like me who like developed our programs at my med school to prevent burnout, who studied positive psychology, who teaches a course on this, like, whoa. And that was a huge reckoning for me that, you know, sometimes knowing something is, is just not sufficient. Like you can still be susceptible to these things. Um, and what I did to sort of like work my way through that, like realizing that I was burned out, um, I started to write some poetry and that led me to send, send some of the poems that I wrote to my classmates. It fostered connection. It was tapping into something that I, I did as a, like a high school student that I hadn't done since maybe college. Mm -hmm. um, and it was really healing for me. And even just to make that, you know, diagnosis for myself, like Jordan, you're, you're experiencing burnout and meet myself with compassion and then apply some of the skills that you know self-compassion and gratitude and figuring out how to use my character strengths to navigate this period I did come out of it and I think pretty much since then I've been able to recognize like sort of days where I feel burned out and maybe even weeks it's usually due to insufficient sleep and like not having my like most basic needs met but I think I think now I, I do more just like check-ins with myself um, and it, it hasn't been as big of an issue, but I have to be very diligent about like using my skills and embracing what I know works for me for keeping my well-being high. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that story. I think that's going to resonate with so many of our listeners. And um, I think at the the culmination basically of what you're saying is one is that we have to really develop this level of self-awareness of what's going on with ourselves, right? Where are we sort of mm -hmm. on the emotional spectrum, on the physical spectrum? Mm -hmm. um, so that when we do recognize that, you know, these things are starting to develop, that we can start to take action and maybe do things a little differently. And then to also recognize what are the things that we can tap into that can sort of lift us up and bring us that joy like for you who was writing poetry right mm -hmm. so for other people it may be other things but what is that thing or things that you can do to mm -hmm. sort of lift you out of those you know sort of somber moments right and um and then doing the check-ins with yourself taking time being really intentional about that um is important as well so tell us a little bit about um uh, any sort of model maybe that you may have developed or uh, when you when you're talking about your course and your program what are some of the things that you follow um, in order to help physicians with and with well-being yeah so 
this is like the core of the class and what I've been working on personally, it all comes down to this acronym called REVAMP, which is an acronym. And I love it because it's also a call to action for how as physicians, as human beings, we can really take ownership um, and move the needle on what we know matters most for our well-being. So it, REVAMP, it's the six ingredients and it starts with relationships, the single most important factor when it comes to well-being and life satisfaction. So relationships with close personal others, relationships with our patients, our colleagues, our teams, those in sort of like our hierarchy, interdisciplinary staff, um, as well as the relationship we have with ourself, which I think is really critical. Um, the E is about engagement. So like, how are we spending our time on a day-to-day -day basis? Are we finding flow in what we're doing? Are we bringing mindfulness and non-judgment to our day-to-day moment, day moments as they unfold? Um, and how do we like use the best parts of ourselves in our daily life? The V is vitality. So thinking through like, how am I tending to my energy? Am I getting enough sleep? Am I putting nourishing foods into my body? Um, how, like, how does, like, am I, am I just eating all the sugar that's around me in the hospital <laughs> or am I actually like eating foods that are sustaining my energy throughout the day to meet the demands that I'm working toward? Um, the A is accomplishment. So if burnout is about like low sense of personal accomplishment, that A is about reconnecting with the impact that we're having and the impact, not just for ourselves, for furthering our own ambitions, which for some of us is important and more important for some than others, but really how are we helping other people and how are other people helping us to achieve our goals? Uh, the M is meaning. So connecting with something that is larger than ourselves um, this is so different for different people. It gets into sort of existential questions of our existence. Like what is our purpose in, on this planet? What is our personal purpose? What is our mission? How are we living by our values? And then finally, the P in revamp is just the positive emotion. So these states of positivity that, um, we evolve to almost ignore and over attend to the negative experiences that happen because those were more critical for our survival. But how in this modern day, when our lives are not in danger, like our ancestors were on this like moment by moment basis, how do we really attend to the positive states of being and deepen them and savor them and prolong them as much as we can? That's great. So that's the revamp model. And um, yeah, so I, I love that all of those acronyms that you mentioned, um, or the acronym with, with the explanation that you mentioned is um, impor important, right? All of those letters <laughs> are important in terms of uh, in terms of our well-being. So what do you think it would take for organizations to support physicians, especially during these times where we're finding, you know, burnout being at its highest rate and we're finding a lot of physicians exiting medicine, leaving medicine, um, what would it really take for healthcare organizations, do you think, to support um, physicians during this time? It's such a complicated question. I wish there was a simple answer. I, I think the first thing is um, really leveraging leadership. Because what we found at our institution is that one of the most protective factors during the pandemic 
of people feeling supported and um, protected from burnout and all of these um, negative psychological sequelae was having feeling supported by leadership. Um, and that is like a very interpersonal process, right? It's, of course, it's organizational and systemic and the fact that like this is a leadership structure and we exist in this hierarchical um, setup, but it's also really one-on-one communication. How can I support you? What do you need? Because what we know from positive psychology is that well-being is not a one-size-fits-all intervention. What's going to work for you may not be what I need just based on our own psyches and our own like home lives and structures and family life. Um, I think really honoring this fact that as doctors, we are so much more than just doctors, that we are parents and we are children and we are experiencing so much outside of the workplace, um, almost encouraging people to bring more of their human selves into the workplace um, to, to bring out that human side of us, not in like a, an unprofessional way, but to, to be more of ourselves, to have more human to human connection and, and build on the positive relationships in the workplace. Um, I also think it's about like basic needs. Like it would be great if I could have like a healthy hot lunch, uh, at my workplace and have access to mental health resources covered by my insurance that I can actually utilize during nine to five business hours when therapists work. Um, so it's really like, I think in these conversations, there tends to be this like dichotomy or like a binary between like individual level interventions like therapy and um, mindfulness-based interventions and then like the systems-based interventions like reorienting leadership and more paid time off. I, I actually think they're, it's a false dichotomy. I actually think they're much more integrated that if like leaders can hear the needs of their constituents and be there to support them with systemic and individual-based interventions, I really think that's the, that's, key. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. I think that, um, you know, when I talk to some of the clients that I serve or talk to some of my colleagues, um, the best organizations or the people who feel like they work for the best organization are those that have leaders who actually have like boots on the ground, right? Like they're in there, they're in the day-to-day they're interacting with the staff. They sort of know what's going on. They have a pulse of what's going on, you know, within different departments. They're seen. They're not just kind of someone who's up in an office somewhere and they don't have any, you know, connection or contact to. Um, so I think you're right. I think that that leaders who really show that they are concerned and who offer support to their mm-hmm. staff um, can really can really do a lot for for the well-being, you know, of, of not only physicians, but for the healthcare workforce in general. Yeah. So tell us what, um, what do you do for self-care? You know, so we, we talked a lot about, you know, um, the importance of well-being and, um, and everyone sort of has their own sort of routine. I think that they sort mm-hmm. of get into or sometimes fall out of, but what does self-care um, look like for you? What, and what does that even mean for you? Yeah. So there are some like concrete things that I do. And then there are many more sort of just like ways of being that I've come to embrace over the years in terms of like the concrete stuff. um, I'm in therapy twice a week. So my own psychotherapy 
that has been incredibly helpful. I started mm-hmm. during my intern year. Um, I've, I've done family therapy. So I've invited my parents to come to therapy with me um, with a separate family therapist to avoid any conflicts of interest, which has been great. Um, I work out every day. So I, I do some form of physical activity. I try to do it in the morning before work. I, I have a Peloton. I'm a bit of a Peloton junkie. I love it. Um, and doing that before work helps me manage my energy and like feel like feel that sense of accomplishment and like that I'm doing something just for me, like before I even step foot in the hospital. It's mm. a little harder on medicine when I had to be there at 6 a.m. That didn't always happen. But since I've been on psychiatry, it's been possible. Um, and then I think like prioritizing friends and social life is huge for me. Um, friendships are like incredibly valuable to me, my relationship with my husband, spending quality time, having date night to really carve out special time. And then, so those are sort of like the concrete operational things. And then I think, um, being as self-compassionate with myself as possible, it's, it's like not a hard skill, but it's really like an orientation to my life where I really try to see myself as a human being with flaws, part of a shared human experience and always recognizing that I am my, my worst critic. Like I am my harshest critic and that I can be softer with myself when I find myself going into that negative internal dialogue. You're not doing enough or you just sounded like an idiot, really calling myself out and working on that. Um, and embracing like a grateful orientation to life, practicing gratitude formally through, you know, reflective practices before bed and, but really more like savoring life as it unfolds, learning to slow down, enjoy a meal slowly. I try not to eat at my desk. Like I really, I try to enjoy the positive things that happen that you know, a couple of years ago, I would have just taken for granted and said, this is just life. But I, I really try to um, slow those things down and, and get more out of them on a daily yeah. basis. Yeah, that's great. And so as we sort of um, wrap up this wonderful discussion that we're having, um, what three tips can you give our listeners on thriving in the face of adversity? Um you know, leading as a a woman physician and and caring for ourselves? Yeah. So the first thing is a a self-compassion tip. Treat yourself like you treat all of the people you care for in your life. Like as women, we are, we tend to be, some are more nurturing than others, but we tend to be nurturers, um, caregivers, all of us in healthcare were caregivers. And we give so much of ourselves to other people and remembering that you really can't pour from an empty cup. So how can we do for ourselves first and foremost, the way we do for others, put that oxygen mask on yourself before putting it on everyone next to you. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's tip number one. Tip number two, I think is prioritize relationships. You know, when I am in a slump or I'm having that negative internal, you know, lizard in my brain that it's coming to the surface. Typically, if I can't, be that own self-compassionate voice for myself, someone I love can. So it's like calling my mom or calling my dad or my husband or a friend. And even when it feels like I should be working or I should be working on this paper or something, something that is like a work product that will make me feel quote unquote productive, probably the better thing for me to do in that moment is go for a walk, 
socialize with a friend, make a phone call. Um, so prioritize relationships, even if it might be counter to what we like have to do. And then I think maybe the third thing, and it's all related to these other two, is um, be careful of the shoulds that we give to ourselves. I should be doing this, or I should feel this way, or I feel like I should have X, Y, Z that other person has. I think, you know, Karen Horney, who's a humanistic psychologist, um, says, beware of the tyrannical shoulds. And I found when I stop shoulding myself to death, I feel a lot better. And I see more things as yeah. opportunities rather than obligations. And just that, that free, that reframe can really change, you know, what it means to walk into a patient's room or what it means to go home and watch TV. Like, like I should do this. No, I can do this. Or mm -hmm. how might I do this differently? So um, yeah, practice self-compassion, prioritize relationships and beware of tyrannical shoulds. I love it. I love all three. <laughs> Thank you for sharing those tips with us. Of course. Well, this has been um, a very engaging, enlightening discussion. Um, so interesting to learn about the work that you're doing. And best of luck to you as you move forward in your career, as you finish your uh, psychiatry residency, and as you do more of your research and, um, you know, more of your uh, well-being, you know, the courses, the work that you're doing for physicians. We are truly grateful for you and thankful for all of the work that you're doing to, to really help us out. So thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. And we look forward to having you on the show again yes. you know, in the future. Keep us updated as to what's going on. And if anyone is listening to this podcast, how can they reach you, follow you? Um, and do you have anything that you'd like to share with us? Absolutely. So I'm on all the socials, um, you know, LinkedIn, Instagram, um, I'm Jordan Feingold. So J-O-R-D-Y-N is the only complicated uh, thing to, to my name. It's Jordan with a Y. And um, I would recommend if anyone's really interested in the topics that they heard today to think about either listening to or purchasing the book, the physical copy of Choose Growth a workbook for transcending trauma, fear, and self-doubt. It's available pretty much everywhere. And it's just a really practical way to put some of this knowledge into concrete skills practice. Um, I think I'll be working on the practices the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. And I'm sure that um, that's a great resource for, for anyone who's listening. So I'll be sure to also put that in the show notes as well so people can, awesome. can access that. So again, thank you for being a guest on our show and um, good luck to you and thank happy you. new year. Happy new year. <laughs> Take care. Great. Thank you for listening today and for allowing me to be a part of your career journey. To continue receiving leadership support, I invite you to join our private Facebook group, Building Women Physician Leaders at www dot leading ladies in charge dot com. Until next time, take care. If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Hopeful Hints, hosted by Dr. Tara, guides and supports those on the often challenging and isolating journey of women's health concerns and infertility there's a particularly powerful episode that you should check out called All Things Endometriosis, which dives deep into understanding the condition to help the many women who suffer from endometriosis and have no idea they have it 
and healthcare providers who are uneducated about it, making the diagnosis process so difficult. Check out Hopeful Hints on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.